What's going on, Lessonators? Today's show is an absolute gem, and we are over the moon excited to introduce to you an incredible guest who shares a treasure trove of wisdom on how to help our kids not just survive, but truly thrive. Joining us today is the one and only Dr. Michelle Borba. Dr. Borba is an internationally renowned educator, an award-winning author with an impressive 25 publications under her belt, and a true pioneer in guiding children towards strong character, resilience, and a world with reduced pure cruelty. Dr. Borba is literally a dream guest for us. We're inspired by her work, and we aspire to be the absolute global force that she is. She is a highly sought-after motivational speaker who has taken the stage in an astounding 19 countries across five continents, leaving her mark on schools and corporations alike. As an NBC contributor, she's graced our screens over 150 times on the Today Show, and her wisdom has lit up shows like Dr. Phil, The View, NBC Nightly News, Dr. Oz, Anderson Cooper, MSNBC, Fox and Friends, and now the list includes Little Old Us. Today, our conversation revolves around her latest literary masterpiece, the book that's making waves, Thrivers. And in this episode, Dr. Borba delves into the heart of her work, unraveling solutions that help transitions our Gen Z and Gen Alpha populations from merely striving to wholeheartedly thriving. So whether you're an eager learner a dedicated parent, or someone looking to make a difference in the lives of our future leaders, this episode is a must listen. Get ready to be inspired, to take action, and to absorb the brilliance that is Dr. Michelle Borba. Let's get into it. Welcome to What's the Lesson, the podcast that takes you on a deep dive into the world of character development. We're Jill and Mary, the dynamic duo behind Girls Mentorship. We foster self-confidence, self-esteem, and self-awareness for tween and teen girls, along with their invaluable network of supporters through events, resources, and mentorship. Picture us as your coaches, walking alongside you through the world of social-emotional learning, and think of this podcast as your own personal roadmap. We'll support you in discovering obstacles that might be holding you back, and gain clarity on why this work is a game changer, not only for your growth, but for the next generation of leaders as well. Alongside our fantastic guests, we're here to share knowledge about how you can change old patterns of behavior and make sense of those WTF moments, shifting them into lessons that can drastically improve your life instead. Whether you're an entrepreneur, a superhero stay-at-home mom, or someone fueled by boundless curiosity, our mission is crystal clear. To supercharge your emotional intelligence and sprinkle the magic of SEL into every corner of your life. You've done it all. You've literally, like, uh, how long have you been doing this? Forever. Listen, this was a trajectory that started when I was in a special education classroom. And everything I learned was there, but I always wondered, why do some of those kids bouncing back despite really a lot of obstacles? But I went from there to gifted and talented, and someplace along the line, people started asking me to speak. And another place along the line is publishers started asking me to write. So 
you know, 25 books later and uh, gosh, over a million parents and educators on, at this point, 91 different countries. It's oh, absolutely fascinating. That's incredible. I'm sure that feels it, wild. I'm sure you look back at your former teacher self to where you are today and just the life that you've been able to create for yourself and the impact that you've been able to have on so many lives. I'm sure you're so proud of yourself. We're oh, proud I of you. The amazing is they just keep inviting me. <laughs> I <laughs> mean. my way to Mexico City. The cool. Here's the most important thing for any parent. Every place I go, I was in Saudi Arabia, Zimbabwe. I'm on to Mexico City. What I'm finding is that children are having the same needs everywhere. It's not your zip code. It's how we raise them. It's a different world. And I think that's why we need to make sure that they learn the traits of thrivers because uncertainty and unpredictable just increase stress levels. But the best thing is we can teach kids to cope. And when we teach kids how to cope, we're actually teaching ourselves because we can do it with them. Amen. I think that's a really valuable point you bring up. The zip code doesn't matter. And I think there's a misconception around being wealthy. You talk about this in Thrivers a lot, right? Affluent communities are actually ones that suffer the most because they think they can give it all to their kids by way of, you know, registering them in a private school and, and being in the best sports and having the best coaches. And that's not the answer to what we're seeing as the real epidemic here that's mm-hmm. that's happening to our kids. Oh, I'm so glad you brought that out. When I wrote Thrivers, I was concerned because one in five American kids was going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. That was 10 years before the pandemic. Then comes COVID and a crisis only amplifies a pre-existing issue, which means we got to reboot what we're doing in terms of our parenting agenda. Don't stop loving your kids. Don't stop helping them be educated. But make sure you're also weaving in along the way uh, the traits of well-being. In fact, I, I'll say one other thing because I just got off of looking at a study of 50,000 people. They were trying to figure out can well-being for people who have mental disorders who are doing quite well in life or physical illness, regardless. The most important thing is, yes, we can teach well-being, but it is never a one-time lesson. It needs to be you choose what it is that you think your family needs. Thrivers is going to give you 300 options. Don't you dare do it or your kid will never let you read another book. But sure, <laughs> it'll work for you. And then keep doing it over and over again until your child can do it without you. That means, aha, he's learned what I consider to be a real thriver. It's a kid who says, I got this, mom. And that means you're you're ready to teach the next and the next and the next. I have your book here. I have listened to it several times on Audible. And when you go through the list, I have two boys. And it was hard for me, as you were talking about the different characteristics and qualities of well-being, I was trying to ping pong which one of my children have those characteristics. And it's interesting because I'm like, I actually need to pull out my my hard copy and go through each child one at a time because yep. I can't, yep. I, I couldn't focus on it. And I'm sure you probably run into parents who are raising two very different children, but are maybe parenting them the same way. And in Thrivers, you really hone in on, you need to make sure that you're not just 
focusing on the academics and um, you're, you're, you're yeah. figuring out what their unique qualities are and their gifts and giving them more opportunities. So that really resonated with me. And I need to dig into that a little bit more for both of my children. Thank you so much for that, because I think that is one of the biggest things we do wrong as parents is we try to push every kid down the same agenda. Your brother took football, so you're taking football. I took piano, so you're taking piano. Where in reality, the greatest thing we can do for our kids is be talent scouts and figure out what their natural assets are. Now, it may be, I've got three boys, they're a different as night and day, but they do have some similarities. It doesn't mean that we're gonna change all of our value structures for them, but we're gonna, I think the first thing, and maybe point number one, is maybe this week, everybody get a set of index cards, one per child. And without Mm. your child watching, sneak a little bit and tune into when do they look like they're more eager, more engaged, more excited? When are they doing something that they say, oh, you can see the joy in them. There's a need for it. Usually that is their true strength. And uh, it doesn't mean you're going to stop helping them with math if they're struggling with it. But all of the teens that I'm interviewing said, the problem is we're not being raised to have balance. The stuff I'm really good at I can't do nearly enough. And that's why my stress is building. It was like such a brilliant point. I said, like what? He said, well, you know, like guitar, that really helps soothe me. Or another kid said nature walks or another kid, it's basketball or reading a book. It's different for every child. But the fascinating thing about resilience and for us too, one of the highest correlations to resilient people is they have a positive hobby to go to Mm. that helps them soothe. So maybe uh-huh. your first question is, okay, that's his strength. Then what's the hobby? And what we're finding is that kids who take those hobbies off with them to college, they're actually more soothed as a result of it. I talked to University of Chicago president. He said, we're seeing such a change in our kids coming in. We're really worried. But the kids who have a go-to thing to do or feel a sense of belonging at this school, by the way, it's not the GPA that's going to do it. The highest correlation of whether the kid's going to stay in that college is when they walk the campus, do they feel like they belong there? And that's when you can say, good job. Now you can walk away and say, have a wonderful life. Oh, I love that versus I'll never forget that first dad that you talked about with his child who was five and taking him to Harvard. Taking him to Harvard. I was like, yeah. oh my I gosh. I think I shut the yeah. book at that point. I was like, <laughs> I this is this is this is very hard to comprehend, but it's not. We want to push, we want our kids to strive for better goals. And in that we're not allowing them to thrive. And I love that call out around what these kids are saying because I think as adults, and I'm saying that in quotations, yeah. we don't think kids are capable of verbalizing those thoughts, right? That's very poignant of a child to say that they want to play guitar because it soothes them. Mm -hmm. We don't think kids are capable of that language or that thought process or understanding what they need when they are well capable enough of verbalizing and telling you what they need. Are we capable of listening? And there's another point that's wonderful. And that is when I wrote Thrivers, probably the best thing is I devoured the research and you're going to see science after science after science. But the best tips were from kids. I interviewed dozens of kids. And the first thing is they all said one of their biggest concerns is disappointing their parents. Mm -hmm. So first thing is 
when you see that passion, it may not be that the kid's going to come up to you going, I love guitar because it soothes me because it's maybe not your passion. Look for the joy. And then what you'll be able to do is say, you know, that's something you could go to. Or let's put one of those in the corner of your bedroom. So every time it looks like you're at the point where you need to calm down a little bit and you can also, there's another tip. We could be teaching him what those signs look for, but what will happen is each child will have their path that they can go to. And then we can start patting ourselves on the back because what we've been doing is a linear path, thinking that the, the best way to success is a straight job to the, to the Ivy League. When in reality, even the presidents of those schools are saying, no, not necessarily. It's making sure your child knows who they are. And that's the first step of raising a thriver. Mm. We just got done hosting summer camps. So we host summer camps for teen girls, 10 to 13, all around social skills, life and personal development. So a lot of correlation with what you have said in your book. I mean, we're eating it up because we're literally using it on a daily basis. And I just, I have to agree so much with, there's a lot of statistics that we garnered from camp, but some of the best ones were what the girls were saying and what they were journaling and the exercises we were having them do. We had them for 40 hours. So Monday through Friday, we really got to get deep with them in that time. And it was very cool to see what we were pulling out of their lived experience and what they were saying about being anxious and depressed. And your statistic around 15% of kids get the recommended amount of sleep because their schedules are just jam-packed with things. I mean, the girls would come to our camp at 9 a.m., leave at 3, have an hour break, and then go to four hours of dance. Yeah. I mean. All right. Here's another tip. You mentioned it. Journaling. Now, not only does that help particularly girls, but I've seen a lot of boys that say that really helps them, but it also can be a tool that we forget if we're having the, how do I get my relationship back with my daughter? One mother said, and this is a middle school kid, the best thing that she did was to buy one really good journal. And then she wrote a note and put it under her daughter's pillow. Now, she went a while and asked the daughter, and why don't you answer it back? You don't have to say it to my face. But the daughter started communicating to the mom versus the journal, putting it under the mom's pillow. The mom would then journal it back. She said it was the best relationship starter I had, and it was starting with a pen instead of verbal. I love that. I mean, what a great suggestion because sometimes parents really are – They want the best for their child. And I know you said that we love our kids. It's not like we're going to stop loving them. Sometimes we just don't know what to do or how to do it effectively because what we think is effective and helping them succeed is actually making them feel more depressed or more overwhelmed, more anxious. And I know why people come to us is to help garner confidence in their daughters. Yeah. And what what would you recommend to a parent who is seeking confidence that they maybe saw one day long ago? It was like, my, my kid once had confidence and, and now they lost that spark. And I'm trying to help him or her get it back. What would you, what advice would you give parents who are seeking that? I think listening to the kids have told me the first thing is we need to tone ourselves down a little bit because they pick up on our anxiety. They pick up on our stress, even though we we don't say it particularly interestingly enough, middle school girls 
misread emotions. Mm. We think they're doing really well on emotional literacy. So you may want to be the one to start, you know, I know you think I'm angry, but really I'm tired. Did you think that I was upset? No, honey, I just didn't get enough sleep. But thank you for caring. Let's always start with just saying what our emotions are to each other so we're on the same page. Then the second thing is find what helps your daughter soothe. Some moms are doing it with their daughters and dads or with their sons. It makes no difference. But we're finding is that it could be that a group of moms discovered that yoga was immensely correlated with mindfulness. That would be trait number three in Thrivers, which is self-control. How do you teach self-control? It's not telling your daughter, you know, you really need to take those deep breaths, but they found doing a group of girls together, or maybe just one other girl with her mom doing it together, all of a sudden was more opening. And now they found the relationship. Finding times to self-soothe together. Maybe you can model it yourself going, you know what? I'm really getting five o'clock. That's my witching hour. It's when everything starts to come down. I need to go and get myself and then tell your daughter what you're doing. I'm going to go listen to music or I'm going to go play the piano or tell her what it is until she gets that point. Natalie, I I love Natalie. She, she went to Dalton and I said, Natalie, you are the most relaxed you know, 14 year old I've ever met. How the heck do you stay so relaxed? She said, oh, I figured out what soothed me. And I said, what? She goes, Mozart. I said, get out. I would oh. never would have thought you coming up with Mozart. <laughs> How'd you come up with that? Sneaky. She said, my mom, she did something really sneaky. What she started to do was play music all during the intercom system in our house, different kinds of music. And it was really kind of annoying but the fascinating thing is every time Mozart came, I started to soothe. Oh my. And now what I did was start loading up my iPad with Mozart. I go and listen to it. She says, it's the best thing that happened. Mom's got a different thing. I got Mozart. I said, okay, so fess up. What happens if you do something really good now? Like she says, oh, I got that covered. I start pulsing around the house to Elton John. I'm still standing. <laughs> I mean, what a jam. I would do it too. That's a great song. It worked for her. The key is mom gave strategies. She didn't name a lecture. All right, we all need to calm down because we're all anxious or we're working on trait number three in Thrivers. No, it was (laughs) subtle. She tried different strategies until one resonated with the child. And once one resonated, mom's idea was, you know, you should load that stuff up into your iPad. It seems to really help. She didn't have to say anything else. She'll use that the rest of her life. We talk about this a lot with our our families that we work with and our girls about the fact that they're their best science experiment. And with science experiments, right, you have to come up with a hypothesis and you have to come up with ways to do your experiment. And if it doesn't work the way that you thought it was going to, you go back to the drawing board, right? That's exactly what that sounds like. And I feel like we give up on ourselves so often Mm -hmm. because especially I'm 35, Jill's 36. Our parents came from a different generation of not exactly being feelers, right? It was kind of shoving your emotions down, sweep them under the rug, big girls don't cry, pick yourself up by your bootstraps. So we've really had to go back to our own drawing board and not go along with what we were programmed with in order to just stay the course and not question why we were feeling this way or not getting the results that we wanted. So it's really cool that your book depicts that so well Mm -hmm. in 
okay, that didn't work. What else is it? You're not a tree. You're not stuck where you are. Continue to try things until they work for your kid because your kid is not only worth it and loved, but your kid is different than every other kid and they deserve to know what works for them. I got to tell you, I love that for another reason. It's not only figuring out what works for you. It's letting your daughter know, hey, you know what? Everybody's got a different mix. You got to figure out what works for you as well. Well, that didn't work. So what else can you try? What Mm -hmm. you're doing is helping her just keep rebounding. And that makes such an enormous difference. That boosts her confidence. And now what you've got, what I discovered of those seven traits in Thrivers, you put any two trait together. I always thought it was going to be one trait that raised the resilient child. Which one was most important? Obviously, confidence is crucial. But if you put confidence with self-control or you put confidence with number two is empathy and a source Mm -hmm. of belonging. Number four is integrity. Five is, you know, curiosity. Six is perseverance. Seven is hope and optimism. You put pair any two together, what you'll have is far more odds that your child is going to be able to get through the challenge And it will be a bumpy road in this next new era we're raising our children in. I was just going to say that what I love in that is being able to say that one thing didn't work and that's okay. Yeah, It's okay because sometimes parents, we try one thing and then what we do is we pull out a device and we pacify. Hey, you know what? Well, that thing didn't work to soothe you. You know what's going to soothe you is your Kindle, the iPad your phone or whatever it is. So it is also having the awareness as a parent to know that it's okay that these strategies that work for you might not work for your child to call it out and to continue to offer different different strategies or ideas to help them cope. Because what I loved in your book too, was that if you do give your kids and we were growing up in a digital world where we are and technology is not going anywhere, but it's having guardrails around that. And the family as a collective need to be on board with that. So if I'm asking my kids, you only get X amount of screen time. I also need to honor that as well. And when family time is family time, we're putting those phones in a basket, putting them away and spending time connecting face to face. That's empathy. And that is one of the biggest reasons why we are looking at an upsurge in the loneliness epidemic and depression and anxiety going through the roof. Go to any restaurant. What you see is everybody looking down and they're not together. But 66% of tween girls say we're the ones too plugged in, not them. We got to model what we want. Most of the kids and the girls in particular are saying they're having a tougher time reading each other. They masked up, they're looking down, they Zoom for a couple of years. And it doesn't mean that they're going to be completely regressed, but they're going to be at a point where we need to say, this is what we need to do is do a lot more feeling detective work. Hey, look at how she's doing right now. Look at her book. Or as you're watching a movie, you could be watching Mean Girls together. But you can say, wow, look at her body posture. How do you think mm. she's feeling right now? So it's not a lecture. It's weaving it in because empathy is absolutely core to resilience and bouncing back. And once again, all those university professors say the number one trait that our kids are needing more than any other one besides coping is learning how to connect back with each other. It makes us feel so good that we, I think we squealed with excitement when we saw that being one of your 
character strengths was empathy because it was something we, it was one of our five camp pillars that we hit on every single day was empathy for self and others. And I want to, I want to unpack that a little in terms of, I think there's a big misconception that COVID was it, right? And it it definitely was a through way for it, but it Mm -hmm. was bad before the pandemic, right? And that's, that's a point you hit on in your book a lot too, is like COVID just gave the problem, a Petri dish to really then thrive in, in and of itself. So will you talk about some of the statistics that were going wrong before COVID gave it a chance to really explode? Oh, number one is uh, Coddling of the American Mind was written prior to COVID hitting. What does that mean? It means that Yale began to see a trend in their incoming college freshmen. They call them excellent sheep. They're coming in extremely smart, but they're afraid to think outside the box. Mm. They're more risk adverse. That was a crucial, crucial trait. Another thing we began to see, NASA studies were just looking at our kids and seeing that five-year-olds were doing fine. Three-year-olds were doing great in terms of curiosity. They were thinking outside the box. And then they kept studying kids in across generations and kept seeing a nosedive in one of the core traits of well, we're talking a future readiness, but also getting along with others, thinking outside the box, creativity, it started to nosedive. Anxiety and stress. American Medical Association was the one who pinpointed that something's going on with their kids. We're seeing a rise in depression that's higher than we've ever seen before. And then came COVID. Emotional literacy. We saw that one, empathy scores. And that was Sarah Conrad from University of Michigan. She was very concerned because she was looking at over 70 different studies. This is thousands of incoming college freshmen from every zip code, north and south, east and west, were given a simple little narcissism personality test over the last 30 years. Uh And what they found started around 2000. And that was a nosedive in empathy and self-absorption going up. And it only quadrupled because when stress builds during COVID and your loneliness and disconnection with each other increase, what happens is you keep dialing your empathy down so that you're in survival mode. And as a result, all those factors, I just talked about curiosity, creativity, empathy, self-control. Those are also, by the way, the seven traits in Thrivers. So when they go down, it means your resilience is also going down. Your ability to thrive is going down. And then came COVID. Oh, Oh my God. I mean, thank you. So do I. Gosh. You talked about narcissism, which is also a line in your book that Mm -hmm. I'll never forget. It's highlighted where it says something about helicopter parents and having the ability to try to make everything happen for your kids. And what that is doing is a giant disservice, right? They win. They they get the trophy for participating. It's creating not empathetic kids. It's creating more narcissistic kids. They don't have the tools that they need in order to thrive. Instead, they have no idea how to cope. I'm so glad you brought this up because once again, Let's look just a little backtrack and put this all together because we love our kids desperately. And the last thing we want them to do is fail or have disappointment or be a little bit, have misery in their lives for just a little bit. I'm not talking about trauma. I'm talking about daily disappointment and grief. And what we began to do is snowplow and helicopter and come in and do everything for our kids. And 
prior to COVID, we began to see the trend that resilience again was going down because instead what the child was doing is looking for us to do it for them. If you looked at the real, real definition to me of a thriver, and that's a child who says, I got this. It means that you have, first of all, taught him the skills so he can. You're not going to say, here's a driver's license, sweetie pie. Just have a great Lori's life. He's got all those little skills. <laughs> Just make sure to buckle. Yeah, yeah, buckle. Buckle up for safe. But you've slowly made sure that he has the skill set. But you've also done something profound. You've started to walk backwards. So maybe the first step is check your footwork. If you're always there pulling the kid and he's not pulling you, that's the first step that tells you, hmm, you're doing too much of the work. The second thing is maybe what you could do this week is look a little closer and say, is there one skill that my child needs to learn for himself that I don't need to keep doing it for him? Middle school kids, by the way, would say, uh, I don't have a clue on finances. I don't have a clue on money management. As they get older, here's, yeah, here's the credit card. Don't. What we're finding is that the kids don't know how to do the checkbook or the kids will go, oh my gosh, I was talking to a child, absolutely brilliant kid who just was given the Ivy League entrance off to the to Harvard. And I say, you look a little anxious. And he goes, yeah. I said, what are you anxious about? He goes, well, I think I'm going to do okay at Harvard. My biggest concern is I'm going to flunk life. I said, why is that? Oh. He goes, because my mom does everything for, for me. me. Oh. I'm at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Here's cadets that are unbelievably sharp. And I ask at the end of my presentation to these brilliant kids, anybody got a question? And the one question for the kid was, how do I respectfully ask my mom to stop helicoptering me? Oh, and I said, God. well, wait a minute here. And I'm looking at this whole packed, you know, I said, how many of you are being helicoptered? I'm talking 90% oh, of the kids stop. raised their hand. And the kid says, you know, we are going to have to go into battle someday. Don't you think we should be prepared to be able to handle our own self? So the first step is start stepping back. Is there one skill this week? Microwaving, making the bed. Is it, you know, calling to making your own dentist appointment when they're in high school? Don't you remind the child what their homework assignments is or where to put the backpack? I don't care what the age level is, figure it out. Now, when you teach a skill, Thrivers is, it'll tell you the 21 most important skills, the seven traits that matter most, but also the 21 skills. Don't lecture it. What we've discovered is the best way to teach a skill is to show it, not tell it. So model it. Let's make the bed together. Do it with the child. Now show me you can do it. Give him feedback at that moment. Then keep stepping back. And when your child can do it brilliantly on his own, going, you got this, sweetie pie. You got this. And never, ever go in to help him again. You expect him to do it because he knows how. Mm, that is wonderful. I also, when you when you were sharing that around the showing it, there yes. was something in your four L's in the chapter of empathy. And it was, was it label? Label your emotions or and and I love that it was like you have to say, okay, this is what I want from you. Yes. Come do it with me. And similarly yes. to that L, it's like, what are you calling out that you're noticing? in your child and how they're feeling. So 
It's interesting. There's a lot of parallels in your book or these different examples around communicating, communicating what you want, communicating what you see and being vulnerable. Absolutely. You know, back to that, there's one absolutely critical piece that we've got to do on the communicating. Too often what we do, particularly when we're stressed, and by the way, Harvard studies just came out last week that said our stress level is actually higher than our kids right now. So take the breath because the next thing we do too often is we react in the situation as opposed to respond. Maybe the next thing you can do if you were to look at what can I get from listening to this iPod situation here is ask yourself, where am I most jittery? Or when do I get a little bit more upset? Because that means you don't have a plan of what to do differently that's more relaxed with your child. And your child is always going to be more responsive. If you seem more relaxed and wait until everybody's in a take a breath. In fact, you can even come up with a calm down signal, which means, hey, I got to, I, not you, to the daughter, I need to take a breath for just a minute. This means I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to walk away. Then I'm going to come back. And then we're going to regroup and figure out how to work this through. That means that everybody's going to be more responsive. And now you can talk through. So what are we going to do next time? What was the mistake? Let's talk through. How are we going to work it through? My gosh, your relationship's going to be intact. But your daughter is also going to learn, oh, that's the way I can do it with maybe my girlfriends as well. Or future relationships. Yes, everything. Yeah. We joke a lot that the time girls spend with us is similar to the time people spend in the gym trying to strengthen their muscles. It doesn't matter if they then go home and spend 23 hours at McDonald's, right? So they can't they can't outwork the work they're putting in in the gym, which is similar to if we're having these conversations with girls and they go home and their parents don't understand how to continue to foster the relationship, the conversation, what they learned. So what you just spoke to is a lack of self-awareness that parents have around controlling their own emotions in times of stress and what they're not realizing until it's not too late because it's never too late, but until they are like uber stressed is that behaviors are caught, not taught, right? They're catching it from you. Yes. And so don't try to reinvent everything about yourself. <laughs> let's, not, let's take a moment back and let's make this be realistic. Right. First step is now take a moment to have your aha moment. What's that reoccurring little thing that's getting in the relationship or I'm a little bit more on edge or I don't seem to be as relaxed with my daughter. Okay, now what can I redo at that moment? If you think it through when you're relaxed, you're going to be far better off of not reacting, but responding. And that's what you really want to do. There's another thing that's fascinating. And I just, while you said something, my brain is ticking 50,000 minutes <laughs> because you, you work in a situation with camps. And sometimes parents, you said something that was, is it ever too late? Parents always wonder, is it too late when it comes to social media? Or she's always uh, looking at a phone. It was a really interesting experiment of middle school girls going to camp. Emotional literacy was very low. They couldn't read each other and their confidence was really low. So what the camp directors did was, here's the box, cell phone goes in the box for the next hours, it's just us. And during that time, they are a little bit more on how do we responding, reading or labeling the emotion. But the other thing that 
they did that parents can do at home is look for the trait in the girl that is kind of in a dormant stage, that's legitimate, that she should be praised for, but character. Maybe she was kind, or maybe she's respectful, or maybe she's responsible, and the why. Look for those moments and keep repeating that image, not like you're on speed dial and doing the same thing. (laughs) But they found that in a very short amount of time, emotional literacy and confidence went up in the girl because she was hearing a trait about herself that she doesn't hear nearly enough. Mm. In a looky-look kind of a world of how do I look and what's my image that social media is doing, we don't seem to be praising our kids legitimately for their character, for those strengths. And then it'll show up. Absolutely. Thrive again. We are going, well, we we do share that piece of advice with our families because we always like to say, it's not about the grade. I know we're praising, oh, you're so smart. Bravo. You got that A. But we always say, well, what did it take to get the A? Because that is transferable in the sports that she plays, in the relationships that she has, so on and so forth. So Listeners who are tuning in, I want you to really grab onto that because I too, it's so easy to parent or appraise my children for being like, oh, you just rocked that baseball game. And, you know, it's easy to say those things, but I need to teach them the vocabulary and the language so that they can be like, oh, if I did great in my baseball game, I can take that same work ethic into my math test that I'm nervous Mm -hmm. about. You know what? There's a takeaway here that's absolutely crucial that goes one step beyond that. And that's perseverance, which is trait number six. And we're dealing with a lot of girls who are saying, what's the point? And quitting and giving up. When your resilience is low, one of the things you'll discover is that, is it worth it? I don't have the energy for it. All of those kinds of things. Another reason for resilience. But Carol Dweck, absolute brilliant researcher, has been trying to figure out What we say to our daughters and sons, does that make a difference on whether they continue to keep working at it or improve? And the biggest thing that she says we do 1000% wrong is praise the end product. That was the A, good job. Oh my gosh, you scored the goal. Oh my gosh, you did so great. She said, if you praise instead the effort they're making along the way, I know it's hard, but yesterday you were a two and today you're a three, or I know it's getting hard, but look at this. You're hanging in there. Yesterday you only worked for 20 minutes. Today you're working for 25. What happens is, remember thrivers are kids who have a sense of agency. I got this. They begin to realize that success is in their hands. It's just a matter of how hard they work. And sometimes with girls, they get overwhelmed with the one little mistake. The one oh, little mistake. absolutely. They All the perfectionists, their in characteristics. The world. Okay. Yeah. So we'll go back to one step more. I'll give you my prime example of that at age six. When my mother had me have Mr. White as a piano teacher and I was going to early retirement in piano because he had this thing, I mean, it was a brilliant pianist, but damn, you had to do the entire piece with absolutely no errors. And if you made one error, you had to start all over again. So all I would do was stress out and worry about the mistake. Then came, thank heavens, Mrs. Thompson, absolutely the most wonderful piano teacher because instead she'd watch my stress level. She'd watch the mistake and she goes, well, Michelle, 
Well, you just need to be worried about that one little thing there. That's your stumbler. Let's work on that one little stumbler. And what you do is practice like a good coach. Let's practice your foot or let's practice how your hand is going. Let's practice that over and over. Oh, you got it, Michelle. Now go. And what happens is my anxiety left. I knew how to keep going over the top, but she identified the stumbler, the Mm. one little thing that's getting in your way. Mm. Push the effort piece. And as a result, my stress levels went down and my effort went up. Are you still playing the piano? I am. I have my mom to you. Never very good at it, no, but, but it relaxes okay. me because of Mrs. Yeah. Thompson, not Mr. White. Oh, how funny. And the contrast, isn't that amazing though? Yeah. The contrast between the two, I can recall, and I'm sure Mary can, I'm sure everyone yeah. has had a coach or a teacher or a, a Mr. parent White. who was always, who's, who was a Mr. White. And you have the opposite of that person who just breathed belief into you regardless of your shortcomings or your mistakes. Well, let's go back to that for a minute because that's another piece of resilience. It's absolutely critical. They looked at teachers. This is an incredible study by Bloom who looked at thousands of the most brilliant, successful human beings out there. We're talking Nobel Peace Prize winners and Olympic medalists and, you know, what all the ones that we're trying to get our kids to do. And they go, how'd they get that way? And it had nothing to do with DNA. Instead, what they did is look at parenting from the very beginning, and they discovered that all those individuals had one thing in common. They didn't have a Mr. White. They had Mrs. Thompson. The second thing, the first teacher and the first parenting style, when you really want your child to engage and love a strength, is they made it fun. They made it relaxing. And pretty soon what happened is by the time the kid was 13, the kid was so in love with it, he was pulling the parent. And now you can put up a notch for the Mr. White type teachers, but you got to first put the joy and the love in it. And that's the key to also resilience on that first chapter. It's core. Oh, man. Well, and what Ms. Thompson did was call out your your who goals, who you were, what yes. you needed in those moments. And what yes. Mr. White was focused on was your do goals. Yes. And if we flip flop them, what you're saying is the impact is far greater to not wanting to do the thing, not having a love for whatever mm-hmm. the parents want the kid to have a love for. It's- and notice one other thing Mrs. Thompson did. She also did number three of Thrivers, self-control. She was putting me into a relaxed mode. The environment is absolutely critical. I used to pick my kids' teachers based on on the year before walking by to see how many of the teachers stood at the door to greet the kids when they walked in. Oh, wow. There was a friendly factor. And the research now is very clear. Back to, to Bloom and everything there. You got to have relationships first before you get into Socrates. <laughs> Relate, then you can teach the skill and the core. I was just going to say thank you for sharing that because it's one of our greatest gifts that we get called out on often with parents or colleagues or girls. Like, you guys are so friendly and we truly mean that. Like, we want girls when they come into our space they don't know what they're walking into and we're going to do some deep work with them. And if we cannot build a relationship with them quickly and build that trust, we're not going to accomplish anything. And I'll never forget, we did three different weeks of summer camp. And our very last week, I had a dad drop off his daughter and he was like, good luck. This looks really 
intense in there. This was on Monday. And I said, you know what? A hundred percent. It always is. But I want you to take note of it because by Friday, I would love for you to tell me the difference and then we can talk about it. And he was like, "Okay, I'm a betting man. So we'll talk about it in a couple of days. Sure enough, he's like, what happened in there? I was like, told you. I know it, it because we wanted it to be fun. We wanted to be relatable. We wanted to be friendly. And that is so important to drop those walls and get connected and have meaningful conversations for girls to realize, wow, there are other really incredible adults that love me and want the oh best my, for me. Oh my gosh. I love that. Here's a piece on resilience. And I think it's absolutely core for parents. We know that we talked about before that thrivers are made, not born. You can help your child at any age. By the way, it's never too late. It's never too late for us. Look at it all. We can learn these skills at any time. But this also, the environment that you just talked about is critical. You can teach the skills, but I always called it like a trifecta. Try (laughs) T-R-Y. First, you got to have three P's. They got to be people in your life, in that child's life somewhere like you two that support that kid that they feel relaxed about. Ask yourself, who's my daughter going to that she feels safe and secure with? Your key question for a tween girl is, if you have a problem, who do you go to at school? Mm -hmm. Who's your go-to person? If they don't have a go-to, that's a red flag. Mm. The second P is a place. Where's the place they can soothe? Is it when they walk into that school, do you see the stress coming out or do you see the stress coming up? Okay, where's the place you can go to at the school or the camp or when you come home? Where's the place in our house where you can go to and relax? And the third thing is when the challenge hits, the last P is have they learned protective buffers? There's dozens of them. But protective buffers are like how to calm down, how to take the deep breath, how to say, okay, what am I going to do next time? We All the things we've been talking about are actually protective buffers. The stumbler, what's the one little thing that's getting in your way? Mm-hmm. How do you reboot it? How do you do the praise? What's that one little thing I'm good at? Okay, I'm going to go and find my strength because mom always reminds me I'm really kind of musical. So I'm going to do what Natalie did. I'm going to listen to Mozart. You put all those three together. No matter what the challenge is, research says your child is far more likely to, yeah, they're going to hit adversity, but they're far more likely to thrive and get through it. And they're also the highest correlations to reduce the depression, the stress, the anxiety that are just impacting our kids in crisis mode, particularly our girls. Particularly our girls. I love that. Thank you for, I mean, you've shared a wealth of information with us I am today. drinking from the I, Michelle straw. <laughs> wow. We're, We're going to go back and listen to this 17 more times. I was we just literally say that. We have a full day workshop coming up in the next two weeks. And this conversation is going to be so helpful over and over and over again yeah. to help us outline that. For parents listening in going, I have no idea where to start. <laughs> I, I'm busy. I work. I this, I that. I, I can't spend the time being my own scientist and trying Mozart or Elton John and piano and guitar, where do they start? Number one is, I would say, get a copy of Thrivers. You do not read it, by the way, from page one to page 250. Instead, go to the core asset survey and start taking a moment to say, who's my kid? You can also look at which straits is my child high in and which is they low in. Then what you do is you flip to that page. I wouldn't suggest you start with the weakness. 
I'd say start a couple of weeks into it, starting with the strength. Your kid is going to be a lot more receptive when, oh, wow, mom's really knowing that I'm artistic or she's zeroing in on knowing that I'm really musical. And then what you can do is find one little thing. Now, here's the key. The research is very clear on this. You can boost your child's resilience at any age, but it needs to be repeated practice. So when you say I don't have time, this is three minutes a day. If you keep doing the same three minutes of how to take the slow, deep breath or how to calmly talk yourself down or how to identify my stress signs, those are all parts of self-control. Optimism and hope, unless you curtail that pessimism, Uh it's going to absolutely derail you and depression is going to go up. So how do I talk back to the negative? How do I find something good in the world? There's so many things. Notice I just went through 10 different strategies. Don't do them all. Instead, what's the one little thing? Do it together because mom, this is going to help you as well as your daughter. Dad, this will help you as well as it'll help your son. So do it all together. And what'll happen is your family is going to be more relaxed and your daughter is going to learn a lifelong skill. And that's so important. That's our goal as parents. We want our kids to be successful and thrive. So moms, dads, when you're in that drive-thru, whatever drive-thru it is, in and out, Starbucks, three minutes, you're waiting way longer. Seriously. So, you know, pull this out and utilize it. Take action because if we want change to happen, you have to take the necessary steps to change. We have to be the change maker. Right. So, We'll link everything. We'll have everywhere to find you in the podcast show notes. Um, Michelle, don't go anywhere, but listeners, go drink from this same straw that Jill's drinking from, (laughs) and we will see you on the next episode of What's the Lesson. Bye, everyone. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. Thanks so much for tuning in to What's the Lesson. If you're feeling the same I-can-do-anything attitude that we are, Here's how you can keep the momentum going. Spread the good vibes. Share this episode with your friends, family, or give us a shout out on your social media. Fancy a trip to iTunes Town? We're all ears for your ratings and reviews. Seriously, we read each one of them. Your thoughts are like gold to us. Lastly, let's be friends. Hang out with us on social media for more awesome content and behind the scenes action. And until we meet again, remember our golden rule. Turning those WTF moments into WTL moments is a superpower. Practice is always progress. And you've got this.